We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Yeah, rough night for the Caps uh, last night. They lose game two, 5-1. to one. The Panthers kind of flex their muscles, their offensive muscles last night. The Caps had that four-minute opportunity down 3-1 with a power play. Couldn't generate anything, and the series is all knotted up at a game apiece. But, you know, what they say about these best-of-sevens for the team that is on the road to start, we just need a split. And the Capitals did get a split, Tommy, in Florida. I don't know if it really applies to hockey as much, um, but they got their split, and they're coming home for a game tomorrow afternoon. Yes. Yes, tomorrow <laughs> afternoon. What? Oh, it's a 1 o'clock start. Yes, it's a 1 o'clock start I mean, I on ESPN. You know, i got to tell you. What? Listen, what? and I know people will raise their eyebrows on this, but I don't particularly give a shit. <laughs> I'm not that particularly interested about the Capitals this year because it's it, it actually turns my stomach oh, God. that Ovechkin is such, is such a defender of Putin. That's really I why mean, you're not watching? Is that I really? really the... I mean, it seems, yes, okay. it seems so hypocritical to, to sit there and, 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 and pay attention to, to, to this team and this player, you know, given his, his political alignments uh, and his personal alignments. They make me sick. Okay. So you didn't watch the game. Well, last how's night. that? Um, I, no. It, it, it's fine. It's just I, I just think that there are so many things that matter more um, to ending uh, the war between Russia game, and Ukraine. None of the, and in you, a hockey yeah. game, nothing matters. Yeah. So by by this matters more than anything. In the hockey game. Well, this matters more than anything we talk about on this podcast on any given day. This this is a diversion for people. This is a diversion for for people. They don't want to hear us talk about uh, Ovechkin's Instagram photos with Putin. 
but but you brought up the hockey game. I explained why I wasn't watching. Okay. It. I don't want to make it a big discussion. <laughs> well, you have in the past. Um, well, I think. Well, we've. We, it, I mean, you you want to talk? You want to talk about this. Roe v. Wade? Should we should we go Roe v. Wade in the second no. segment? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I mean, what else no, do you want to do here? I was explaining why I am not interested in this series. Okay, can I? And it make, it makes me a little sick to my stomach. I, I'm I'm. Uh, I you, okay fine we we understand your point um and your position uh now with respect to the game last night uh the Panthers did flex their offensive muscles they've been a high scoring high octane team all year long they hung 5 on the Capitals Vanacek uh got removed for Samsonov it'll be interesting to see what happens tomorrow i haven't read yet that they've made a decision on the goaltender for game 3 but i do think what is intriguing about the NHL playoffs every single year is that basically anything can happen this is the sport of the best of sevens, you know, baseball, basketball, and hockey, where virtually any result is possible. It doesn't matter if you ended up with 35, you know, less points than your opponent. We've seen eight seeds beat one seeds. We've seen eight seeds win the Stanley Cup. It is a sport that is incredibly unpredictable. And I'm, you know, I've had this discussion, by the way, in recent days, actually, um, with people who really like hockey. Um, and I'll just tell you, as, as you know, I've been, um, you know, over the last week or so, I've, I've had to spend time at a, a, a hospital nearby. Um, my mother's been in the hospital for over a week. She's getting better. Um, but I had a conversation with somebody who I ran into as I was walking in, and the person said, you know, hey, I'm a fan of the podcast and the radio show. Love you and Tommy together, et cetera. When are you getting Cooley back on was the question the other day. Anyway, long story. By the way, Cooley was on for those of you just tuning in, Cooley was on yesterday, did a film breakdown of Sam Howell and Jahan Dotson. It was excellent, and I know a lot of you um, were thrilled with it. For those of you that, for whatever reason, said to me, ooh, Cooley disagrees with your positions and you got really bent out of shape, what are you talking about? I, I love Jahan Dotson. I loved him before the draft, and I love the pick. I think he's going to be a really good player, and so does Cooley. And as far as Sam Howell, when we've had discussions about quarterbacks before the draft, he was the one quarterback I didn't like more than any other. It's not that I liked any of the quarterbacks. Malik Willis was the guy that I liked a lot. I didn't like Sam Howell. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked here. Um, I had this conversation with this gentleman when I came back you know, down – um, from where I was, and he happened to have been there as well, and we ended up talking, and he's a massive hockey fan. And he kind of took a exception to me not being a big Caps fan, which is what Sands did the other day, by the way, on the podcast. Anyway, long story short, uh, or shorter, um, he just said, you know, hockey's not as random as you think it is. And I said, really? And he said, there's definitely puck luck. There's no doubt about that. But the teams that are really skilled – and are well-coached, they create more quality chances than teams who aren't as good. And it's those, it's the volume of quality chances that you get that eventually makes puck luck less important. Because if you're throwing more quality chances at the opposing goaltender in a, in a game, even if you, you know, are unlucky from a puck perspective, you're still going to have a chance to, you know, land a couple of them. And he said Florida is, this was before the series started, Florida is much more skilled 
than Washington. They're much faster than Washington. And it, you know, and he goes, I'd be very surprised if Washington pulls it off. And I just said to him, I wouldn't be. But what do I know? I think. Well, how does that explain the, the Canadians, an eight seed, against the number one seed Capitals a few years back, who were very fast and full of tremendous skill players getting beat in that series? I mean, how did they just explain the simple fact of the hot goaltender? Yes. You know, it's Tark El-Bashir has, has said that before as well. I mean, this sport should just be called goalie. But then I, I said that to him, or I said something about that. You know, it was Halak, right, the Montreal goalie. And I think I brought that up and maybe something else. The Kings that wanted it as an eight seed, I forget, um, not that long ago. I think that's true maybe like in 2015 or something like that. You hockey people will correct me on that, but I think they were an eight seed and they won the cup. Um, And he said, well, that's fine, but then how do you explain how many dynasties there have been in the sport? You know, the Canadiens, the Islanders, the Edmonton teams of the 80s, the Pittsburgh Penguins teams of the 90s, the Penguins teams here in recent vintage, with Crosby and I you know that is kind of a good point look one of the things we've said about the NFL so much over the years is how it's built you know for parody and yet we have over the last 20 years lived through the you know you could argue the greatest dynasty in the history of the game the Patriots yes and and yet in baseball you know people complain that you know, there is an imbalance that, uh, you know, that the rich teams, the teams with the most money always win. But yet, out of the last 21 World Series, there have been 20 different teams in the World Series. Right. So sometimes there's no explanation <laughs> that that works. <laughs> right. There, I mean, the, the, it, was, it was a really good, I thought it was a really good point. It's like the, hockey, you could almost say, has had has had more dynasties, although I think the NBA's had some real dynasties. You know, obviously the Celtics of the 60s. You know, you get into the Lakers and the Celtics of the, you know, of the 80s. And, you know, you had the, you've had big runs. I mean, the Bulls and the Pistons and the Lakers again. And, and, and the Lakers. Yeah, yeah and absolutely. The, and, and, the, and the Warriors, you know, of recent and vintage. the Warriors, yeah. Yeah, so. Yes. I don't know. I don't have an answer for the hockey thing. I, I do, I, I, and I've said this a lot, but I'll say it again. I do find the NHL playoff um, close game to be as, you know, riveting as anything you watch in sports, in part because it just can end so abruptly. Like the overtime thing is pretty cool The in the tension. And by the way, the fan bases of these teams, they're all so damn passionate. That goes for the Caps fan base, too. You know, it is the right now, Tommy, of the professional sports teams in town. And it's been this way for a while. Forget the overall numbers. And we're going to talk some numbers, by the way. There was a poll done by Channel 9 on the Washington Commanders fan base. Um, but overall, there's not been a more passionate fan base over the last 10 years. 12 years than the Caps fan base in terms of just Absolutely. wanting it so badly and, and being there and being supportive Absolutely. and being loyal. Yes, 100% right. 
Game three tomorrow. Yeah, 100% <laughs> right. I mean, I... Huh? I was just going to say, game three tomorrow at 1 o'clock. All right, what's next? <laughs> you don't have anything else in this They're getting the band back together again. They're getting the band back together again. We'll talk about that. I wanted to read this quick review from Bruce, spelled B-R-O-O-C-E, Allen, A-L-L-E-N. Uh, this via Apple Podcasts. Please rate us and review us whenever you can. If you haven't done it, it'll take you 30 seconds to give us five stars and a quick one to two sentence review. Um, Bruce Allen wrote a lengthy um, a review for us. Uh, he gave us five stars, but the title of it was, This Guy is So Mean to Me. I'm not sure what I did or said to deserve such mean words from this man. So toxic and hateful to me. I didn't even do anything wrong. This guy Kevin and his minion Tom have not praised me yet for the damned good culture I brought to this historic franchise. You guys still haven't realized that the... Uh, that you lo- what you the gem you lost as a GM and president of football operations. I will awa- I will await an apology from these two anti Bruce Allen propagandists. Uh, thank you, Bruce, for writing us. It means Bruce is listening. That's great. Yes, well, he paid attention. Look, they they all claim they don't pay attention, and they all pay attention. A lot of people pay attention that say they don't pay attention because I I remember. The only time I ever heard from Bruce Allen was an email about a column I wrote about an old Redskins lineman who had passed away, John Wilbur. I remember and, this. And uh, he complimented me on it. So I know he was reading me because that's the only time he ever, I'm sure I, I ever wrote anything that he liked. So. I, I- I don't think Bruce listened at all. In all honesty, I don't think Bruce listened at all to sports talk radio. Not even a little bit. But he was an an old school guy, so he would read the newspapers. Yes, this is true. And I think he thought... That's what he would do. Right. I I don't think he understood... Bruce definitely was very much stuck in the 70s. You know, which is one of the yeah. reasons he wanted the games back on WMAL so much, you know. Um, uh, but anyway, um, but, but it's, it's funny because as critical as we were of Bruce over the years, um, every time I ran into Bruce, you know, typically out at the park in our radio studio, uh, Bruce was always nice. And I, 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 I don't know Bruce at all. Um, Bruce definitely had this air about him that he was 100% the smartest guy in the room and nobody knew anything compared to what he knew, including the owner, which probably was true. Um, And I think, you know, overall, I mean, we will certainly say about the Bruce Allen era, uh, it was a disaster with him as the team's GM and the team president. I think it's also worth mentioning that, you know, his job essentially was to shelter Dan Snyder from all of it. You know, he Snyder became the recluse that he is today when Bruce Allen arrived in the organization in 2010. He was much less of a recluse when it was he and Vinny, um, you know, kind of being able to do whatever they wanted with the various coaches that they had. And, you know... Yeah. Cu- Cooley always described Bruce Allen, the hiring of Bruce Allen, as Dan's attempt 
to become a better owner. And that he hired him and he gave him so much more responsibility than, you know, clearly Vinny or any coach previously had. He just hired the wrong guy to do it. And then obviously got in the middle of a lot of stuff as well. And then blamed him on the way out. Yes. So what do you make it the um, the new band story? Uh, they're they're bringing they're bringing back Washington's band, and apparently they're going to have a revamped arrangement of the fight song uh, that would be hailed to the Redskins. Uh, we say that on this podcast um, without much uh, you know w- worry. Um, that's what they were. They were the Washington Redskins, and it was the Washington Redskins marching band. And the name of the song that was played forever was "Hail to the Redskins." So yes. they're they're bringing back uh, which, which at one point at one point had the words uh, "Dixie" in it. Yes, they took many Dixie years out. ago. Yeah, when yes, did they, they did? They took Dixie out. Look, I'm all in favor of music. Most music makes people feel good when they hear it. Yeah. And I think, I think the marching band is, is a great thing. It's a George Marsh, Marshall invention. I mean, this was, I mean, George Marshall may have been a low-life human being, but he was a hell of a promoter. He was the guy who really put on the big halftime shows and created the first marching band in, in the NFL. And uh, I think it's great. I think fans love it. I, I think it's, it's, it's a good thing. And it needs certainly to be modernized a little bit, and it, it, apparently it will. The vice president of guest experience, Joe, Joey Colby Bogovich, uh, for the Commanders, quote, we are very excited to bring back the marching band with a new sound as we enter the inaugural season of the Washington Commanders. We have continually emphasized the return of traditions that have lived with the franchise for decades, uh, well, I'm, not everybody has. Not everybody has has welcomed the return of traditions. The coach isn't crazy about him. The coach, so, the coach isn't crazy about traditions. About about returning to anything in the past. Oh yeah, right. Coach wants to leave the past behind. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. forget about the past. They're also very much behind the hashtag HTTC, um, which they are now using on social media. Um, People have asked me uh, in recent weeks about what I think of take command as the hashtag. I'm just not really following all of this that closely. I don't really care that much about this. HTTC or take command like, what is it, the official hashtag of the team? I, I mean, I don't care. I mean, when when this vice president of guest experience, Joey Colby Bogovich, says, you know, we're excited to bring back the marching band with a new sound as we enter the inaugural season of the Washington Commanders, That those last, you know, uh, few words of that, that sentence sums it up for me. This feels like the inaugural season of an expansion team. So you're going to have to give some of us some time. I don't know if I'll ever embrace this. I have no idea. I can tell you this, if they continue to suck and they continue to suck with, you know, poor behavior, there's no chance of me jumping back in with the same level of passion. 
I like a lot of the people in the football operation right now. I'm rooting for many of them, including Ron Rivera. No matter how much he's kind of gotten a little bit slippery here over the last several months, I think he's, you know, I think he and I think Jason Wright on the business side are quality people, you know, so I am rooting for them as, as individuals, but they can't, you know, they're not, you're not going to change my level of passion right now. I don't know how I'm going to feel when I see the new uniforms on the field in the fall. When I see, you know, uh, the the new name in full screen Chiron next to the Cowboys or next to the Giants, you know, I, I don't know how I'm going to feel. My guess is very you know, detached, very detached. That's yeah. my guess. You know, it's funny. It's funny. You talk about Ron and, and Jason Wright, and they certainly seem to be very decent people yes. who want to do the right thing. But it's, it's, it's kind of sad to watch them, like, slowly – uh, disappear into the muck. You know, it's like watching somebody in a movie in quicksand. You know, and and you know they're slowly going down, slowly going down to the place where everybody else has gone before them. And you know they didn't they didn't know how deep the quicksand was when they came here. But I believe I, look, I think this is a good development. I think people, I think fans will like it. I think, like you said, it'll be a little bit of fun uh, and a little bit of a distraction if they need it, and they probably will need some bit of a distraction. I want to take the car and really veer off to the right here uh, a little bit, but there is a connection. Okay. okay? You with me? I'm listening. Uh, in the press release, it talks about uh, Tanya Snyder, Dan's wife, co-owner and co-CEO, helped design... Uh, uh, she helped design the marching band uniforms. So she's involved in this as well. Okay. Now, the reason I bring this up is George Preston Marshall's wife, an actress named Corinne Griffith, is credited with writing the lyrics to the, to the uh, team song. Okay. Okay. And I've been hanging on to this for months, waiting for an opportunity. And this is probably as close as I'll come. Somebody sent me, just to show you how things, how, how crazy it used to be here sometimes, uh, in an era where we weren't, where I didn't even walk the earth. Uh, somebody sent me a, a story from 1953 about Corinne Griffiths uh, speaking to a business group in Baltimore, where basically she said the 16th Amendment, which is basically the right to tax people, was called organized thievery and the root of all our evils. She attacked it for the Gestapo it holds over our heads and the dictatorship it is spawning in Washington. She charged it has brought us back to the days of the debtor's prison. She compared the federal government to Hitler's regime, claiming both embraced the policy of destroying small businessmen. This was 1953? Imagine, yes. Imagine what a pistol she must have been, comparing <laughs> the federal government to Hitler. 
We've certainly had some of those accusations recently. Yes, and I might want to point out, she received a standing tribute before and after her speech. And uh, George Marshall was in the, her husband, the Redskins owner, was in the uh, audience. Uh, how does this, how do you, why are you connecting this to Tanya Snyder designing well, the uniforms? Well, she was connected to the band. Well, I understand she that. She was connected to the band. Right. So there's the, there's the owner's wife. Right. Now connected to the band designing the okay. uniform. Okay, so are you going to somehow write it a was, co- column where Tanya Snyder? No, there's no column to write here. <laughs> okay. No, there's no column to write here. And I'm not saying Tanya Snyder uh, wants income taxes done away with or, or anything like that. But it just goes to show you that when we think things are crazy, there have been times where things have been crazy for decades. Well, haven't we Literally always decades. talked about that? Haven't we always talked about how, you know, everybody wants to live in the moment that is the craziest or the greatest or the worst? And, you know, these people typically have no sense of history and what's come before them. No, but, 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 yeah. But this was, this was, a, this was, I thought this was hilarious given that it's like six or seven years after World War II. Yeah. Um, and people well, were it was, it was, it was, eight, it was actually eight years, uh, to be exact. Um, okay. and, and by the way, right as the Korean war was ending, uh, in 1953. Yes. All right. So yes. I want to, and I think you've seen this story. I, I want now to veer back to kind of the conversation about the state of the team and the state of the support and, you know, uh, et cetera. Because Channel 9, this guy Eric Flack, who's actually had a lot of good stories here over the last six months. Right, Tommy? The Channel 9 guy on the stadium? He's yes. been all over the stadium stuff. A lot of stuff. stadium stuff. Right. His name's yes. Eric Flack. Um, and he um, apparently Channel 9, or I'm sorry, Nielsen did – a uh, a a polling of Washington residents, uh, and I'm assuming that there were lots of questions in here. But the part that Eric wrote about was the part uh, that asked through this polling for Washington D.C. market adults to yay or nay on whether or not they're a fan of the Washington Commanders. I'll just read from the actual story on WUSA9.com. According to data WUSA9 exclusively obtained from the consumer research firm Nielsen Scarborough, only 29% of adults in the Washington, D.C. television market, which, by the way, includes Virginia and Maryland, um, called themselves Commanders fans. That's fewer than one out of every three people in the area, and it's a, it's a gigantic drop from 2004 when 51% of the market said they were fans of Washington's franchise. By comparison, Nielsen Scarborough says 52% of the Baltimore television market still considers, it considers itself fans of its NFL franchise, the Ravens. Um, And then you get a bunch of um, quotes from various fans in here. Uh, Then there's a quote from Jason Wright. Washington Washington Commanders President Jason Wright told WUSA 9 in a a one-on-one interview in April he believes the Nielsen Scarborough research. Um, Quote, because when we walked in, we quickly discovered that the fan base was not what it used to be. That's obvious. 
closed quote. Um, Wright also spoke to the team turning things around with uh, the team ranking fourth right now in the NFL in new season ticket sales and number two in new club season ticket sales and suite sales. And he, and he said the numbers um, uh, reflect some enthusiasm for the team, uh, close quote. I, I'd like to see what those numbers are. Like, are they just compared to where their sales were last year or the year before. So it's kind of a percentage thing. You know, did we go from three new uh, club seat sales to, you know, eight? Uh, or was it, are these real numbers that are going to impact crowd size next year? Anyway, I, I did read through this and I think I have a slightly different take than some others, but I wanted to read this quick tweet from Ben. Ben wrote and attached the Eric Flack story, and he said, Kevin, did you see this? This is what you've been talking about for a long time now, spelled out in poll form. You've used the famous quote from Jim McKay at at the 72 Olympics before, but it does apply. They're all gone. (laughs) That's from Ben on Twitter. Um, Ben, have I used that before? to describe the uh, eroding fan base? I hope I haven't because it's inappropriate to use that. And I'm very familiar with the Jim McKay 72 Olympics when the hostages were all uh, found dead. And he said very famously, they're all gone. Um, in a very moving, you know, couple of days, obviously a horrific couple of days. If I've used that to describe the fan base erosion, uh, I apologize because that's not a good analogy. However, back to the story, you would, you would agree, Tommy, that's not a very good analogy to use. Probably not. I mean, not the worst I've heard. Probably not. I mean, dance, you know, dance, comparing the federal government to Hitler, like George Marshall's wife did, that would seem like a bad analogy. Uh, Dan, S- Dan so Snyder isn't the equivalent to uh, Palestinian hostage takers. He's pretty bad as an NFL owner, but he's not that. So anyway, we move on. I've got a, 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 a maybe a slightly different take on this. I'm actually surprised that the number is that high. I would have thought it would have been lower. Now, I would have needed to know what the 2004 number was before I answered that. But in seeing the 2004 number, which was 51% of the respondents said that they, um, that they were, at that time, Washington Redskins fans, that number would have seemed low to me. But in, you know, given that, you know, not everybody's a football fan and not everybody, you know, this is a transient market and we know that, you know, whatever. Uh, the fact that it's fallen from 51 to 29%, so it hasn't even fallen by half, is actually and should be good news to the team. Now, it's still a very low number. And I also, I was just reading, uh, so many people tweeted me this story, and this was one from Sorel something or other um, on Twitter. Sheehan, this is what you've been talking about. This is what's left, and the fan base needs more of the significant influencers back in the fan base. I have talked about that, that the screamers on social media that tell you just to shut up and root for the team or, or leave, that they have very, very um, little influence uh, over the business of this organization. They're a very small percentage 
of the fan base, even though they're super chesty, you know, on social media. Um, and they tend more more than, and this is going to sound, uh, you know, a, a little bit pretentious. I'm not meaning it to be. It's just factual. Um, those that have hung in there and have this undying loyalty and have had it and are critical of those that have said no more, um, you know, very loudly and, and very sensitively on Twitter, they're just typical. They haven't been part of the big spending group that has gone away. Tommy, you know this. It's the sweet holders and the club seat holders that, have, that are all that, that are gone. You know, that's where they've lost so much. And these were yeah. the, the higher, you know, kind of profit customers that the team had and needs back. And I don't know if they're going to get them back with the feeling of a, a an expansion team here um, and with new uniforms and new everything. I just I, I don't know if that's true, if they'll come back even with a winner or even if Snyder were to leave. You know, I think a lot of those people have kind of moved on, maybe for good, but the only test of that would be if Snyder was forced out or sold the team, or the team won big. And then and then we'll know for sure if those people will come back. Um but anyway, I, I don't think twenty nine percent of the respondents is that low. What's interesting, well, when you compare it to the Ravens. It's, it's it, almost half. Uh, no, you're right. It is low, family. but I thought it was going to be even lower. I would have thought that they that okay. the number would have been That's more than half yeah. or, or less than half of what it was 18 years ago, and it's not. They're in, further in the story, it has something interesting. It talks about there are 1.6 million Commander fans in Virginia. Right, I saw that. As opposed to 1.1 million fans in Maryland. Right. Okay, we kind of thought that, right? That there's more fans in Virginia than there are in Maryland. Well, you have the Ravens in Maryland. But, right, right. So we kind of thought that. And it says in here, the success of the Ravens has siphoned off huge chunks of the younger generation right. in Maryland. And I think that's accurate. But uh, one point, for again, for people who say... Let's put the stadium in Dumfries and don't worry about Maryland. That's a million fans. Right. It's still 1.1 1. You know? 1 million. Yes. Yeah. Right. I mean, this team can't afford to give away 100,000 fans, let alone a million fans. But they, they may not have much of a choice, you know. I mean, the only, the only thing here is that Virginia fans are used to traveling to Maryland for games. Maryland yes. fans and D.C. Yes. fans haven't been asked to drive to Dumfries for a game. Yes. So ever. You, ever. The, yeah, Since ever. the team's been in existence. Right. I think there's another thing here, too, is that the team has, you know, said, at least to some of us over the years, that literally, based on their you know research and their data, seventy five percent of their real, true, hardcore fans live outside of the area. And you know that number, I think maybe ten years ago was like fifty fifty. Now it's like seventy five percent, something like that. Um, and you know, unfortunately, when it comes to live gate and television ratings, et cetera, that's not going to help them much. 
But I've always found that to be interesting. Now that that is reflective of people, you know, being here and moving, and um, and also, by the way, you know, uh, just a, a a fan base that at one point did have great reach. You know, it had huge reach outside of this market. Now, a lot of it was because people were fans here and then they moved to another area to live. Um, and I've always made the case, Tommy, and I believe this to be true, that people who live away from their hometown are much um, less likely to give up on their hometown teams, even if those hometown teams are bad and those that still live in the market have given up on them because it's like this badge of, of, of honor. And it's like this, they love to kind of hang those flags, you know, Caps fans, Nats fans, Skins fans, um, you know, Wizards fans, when, when they, they're a DC, you know, a, a DC guy, uh, who now lives in, you know, Dallas or lives in Nashville or lives in Columbus, Ohio, there's this, this, this this pride of representing your hometown team and the easiest way to represent that many times is through your sports fandom and so they're less likely to give up on that um than people who live here and uh i think that i think that probably goes for almost any fan base i think that's logical i think you're right <sighs> okay. so what you need to do is move away then you then you won't have given up on them so much. Tommy, Steve Sands, who was on with us the other day, Steve is still the biggest fan of every single local sports team. This is where he grew up. He's a Montgomery County guy. And Steve gets upset with with some of us, you know, and he listens to the podcast all the time. He'll be hearing this even though he's out at the golf tournament working this weekend um, out at Wells Fargo. But um, I, I, he's, he's like the perfect example of that. He loves these teams. He hasn't, he hasn't felt, I think people who have lived away for a long period of time, haven't felt the day to day wearing there down. There you go. It hasn't really cost them much. Not as much. Maybe. No, no, no. He has not to, he's not to ha- endure the daily floggings. <laughs> um, now let me just uh, end this particular segment on on an upbeat note. Um, they're at rookie minicamp uh, this weekend, and you know I was uh, this person that I told you I was having a conversation with. I, I almost uh, did this with Cool yesterday, and I had it ready to go, but I decided to back off it and save it for you today. He was doing film breakdowns, but um, just this whole notion that the football operation is in a better spot. And this particular person said to me over and over again, what do you think about just all these Carolina guys? And I said, I'm okay with it. I mean, I don't know why so many get worked up over a head coach who has total control of the football operation for now and wants to surround himself with people that he's super comfortable with. And that he has, you know, won with before. And a lot of you will, you know, tell me, well, three out of the last nine years were winning seasons. Well, he had an overall winning record and went to the playoffs a lot at Carolina. I don't, I don't want to get into his record again. I mean, it's 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 what it is. And everybody has sort of a different perspective on it. But anyway, when Cam Newton was healthy, they, they did pretty well. But I just don't have that much of an issue with that. 
You know, they signed this guy, Alex Erickson, um, the the punt and kickoff returner, yesterday. And people were like, there it is, another Carolina guy. Jesus Christ. I mean, enough already with the Carolina connection. Well, first of all, Ron didn't even coach this dude. He played in Cincinnati when Ron was the coach of Carolina. But I don't really... It, I think in many ways this is the kind of organization where it may be super important for Ron to surround himself with people who understand how he works and are loyal to him. You know, especially in well, this I mean, organization. Look, if, if you're a boss, if you're a good boss, you're going to bring people with you uh, who you have confidence in you've worked with before. It's not going to be, you're not going to fill every position with them because you have to be open to new people and, and new ideas. But there's a certain level of comfort uh, in, in being able to count on certain people. I, you know, you are a big boss, okay? I was a little boss. And I remember when I went back to being a worker, I, and I, I took a vow uh, that I said I was going to be the kind of worker where my boss never had to worry about me. <laughs> In other words, they told me what to do, and I just did it, and they didn't hear from me until I presented them with, with the story. You know, I, I, fig- I would figure out things on my own. And uh, if you're a boss, if you're a coach, you, wanna, you want guys like that around you. You want guys you can count on. Now, I think part of the... Uh, this may be a stretch, but part of the pushback here in Washington is because of Bruce and the Tampa connection. Right. It seemed like Bruce Allen, you know, went to the Tampa well very often during his time uh, running this, this franchise. And those results were not positive. And I think people got tired of saying, oh, there's another Tampa guy, you know. And I think this is a carryover from that. I think it would be so much worse if we knew that he was trying to get all these people that used to work for him and they didn't want to work for him. You know, these people do like him. They respect him a lot. His former players in Carolina, when he got fired, the reaction from those players, really good players, Luke Keekley, you know, and others, he definitely connects with players, and there is a belief among those that have worked for him or with him in him. It would be much worse if, like, he was floundering and he was hiring, you know, people from, you know, every which end, and nobody from Carolina wanted to come here and play for him and work with him. I think that would be much worse. But I, I wanted to extend it to this one offshoot of this conversation. I don't care about um, someone hiring people that he's familiar with, that he trusts, etc. I think it's probably more important in an organization like this one, considering the owner. But what's interesting about all of this and the draft that also reflected seasoned, experienced, low maintenance, high, you know, on the culture uh, side, you know, continuing this, we're trying to change the culture here that the most important person right now in the organization that isn't the owner or the head coach is the quarterback, and he's not a Carolina guy. He's not somebody who Ron's worked with before. And there are red flags about him being the right kind of 
culture person. And this is why going into next season, Carson Wentz is the most important figure right now in this organization. In a sport that that demands high-level quarterbacking. And by the way, in many ways, a level of, of leadership um, and a level of cert- certainly accountability um, and being coachable. He has put all of his eggs in 2022 into a basket where he has no previous familiarity with the person at all. And yeah. it's, it's the most important per- right. position right now on the field, if not in the organization. Well, well like we've talked about, it, it, he, was, it, he was in a position of desperation. He didn't have many options the way he saw it. Cam, yeah. Cam was available. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I know. And RG, RG3's available. Oh, did you see what RG3 tweeted out about Ryan Tannehill? No. Ryan Tannehill the other day said, it's not my job to mentor Malik Willis. You know, they, the Titans took Malik Willis in the third round. Um, RG3 um, tweeted out, Ryan Tannehill not wanting to mentor Malik Willis is a recipe for disaster. He needs to check his ego at the door because leadership comes with the cost of ego. <laughs> Oh God! Is that amazing? It's so funny! Uh, it really is. Talk about a lack of self-awareness. It's amazing how lacking in self-awareness he is. Now, I think in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson, he really tried to assume that role, you know. But checking ego at the door. This the guy that walked in to a meeting a few months after a, a, a playoff game and a surgery with a PowerPoint that said, these are the plays I am not running next year to his head coach, uh, to the offensive coordinator, and to the quarterback's coach at the time. Uh, by the way, two of, uh, of those three being very successful head coaches in the NFL right now. All right, um, a few more things to get to. On the show, by the way, at the very end of the show, Eddie C., for those of you who remember Eddie C. coming on with me last year uh, on the podcast to predict the Derby, and I think he may have come back for the Preakness, I forget. Um, Eddie C., who's a, a local favorite in town for many of my friend group, uh, lives down in Florida, spends much of his time at Saratoga, however, um, is going to jump on for you uh, race fans and uh, give you uh, his exact a box for the Derby and his pick to win it. I, I think Tommy has a pick for it as well. Have a couple of other things to get to next right after these words from a few of our sponsors we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Cigars and curveball action and auction, Tommy, on Monday night. Can't wait for it. Yeah, we're expecting a good turnout at Cigars and Curveballs at Shelley's Back Room at 1331 F Street, Northwest in the District. Monday night, May 9th, from 6 to 8 p.m. Uh, it's a fundraiser for the Grays uh, who provide equipment and uh, uniforms, among other things, to underprivileged kids to play baseball in the district. Uh, it's a lot of fun. You can buy tickets. You go to dcgrays.com. You can buy tickets there. It's a $100 donation, and plus we have an auction, uh, and I posted the other day uh, one of the items included in the auction is an autographed jersey of number 66, Joe Jacoby. Yeah. Super Bowl champion, yeah. and as you wrote in your tweet, future Hall of Famer, please. Future Hall of Famer. And listen, people, when they, he's going in the Hall of Fame. That's going to happen. And when they go in the Hall of Fame, that stuff becomes a lot more valuable. Uh, They'll also be able to bid on hanging out with us during a podcast recording in these palatial studios here in Bethesda. So let's see what that item goes for. Uh, I I may have to bid on that myself because there may not be any action, (laughs) Um, but we'll see how it goes. But uh, Tommy's event's always awesome. It's an easy place, by the way, for those of you who don't spend a lot of time downtown. Shelley's is at uh, 13th and F. There's plenty of parking, great area. Um, great spot. We're going to have a, a great time Monday night. I'm looking forward to it. I'll be there. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of people will be there that you'll recognize names, if not faces, for sure. Listen, the next day when you read the TMZ story about it, you'll wish you had been there. <laughs> I hope. I hope the TMZ story is about something that happens in <laughs> Shelley's back room versus outside of it. That can be worse. <laughs> All right. Um, I know that you wrote a column, which we'll get to here in a moment, but I I did just want to weigh in real quickly on this Phil Mickelson story that Mickelson had more than $40 million in gambling losses from 2010 to 2014. This is uh, an excerpt from the Alan Shipnuck 
um, biography on Phil. You know, the previous uh, excerpts from this uh, book that's coming out have gotten him in trouble as it relates to the new tour over in Saudi Arabia, which, by the way, Sergio Garcia yesterday uh, basically said, I can't wait to get off this tour and to the new one. Uh, also, real quickly, Denny McCarthy, uh, he has yet to go out for his second round in the rain today, but five under yesterday, and he was on the radio show. We had him on the radio show yesterday morning before his round. Um, every A lot of people in town rooting for Denny uh, to play well. But $40 million in gambling losses. You know, uh, Billy Walters, you know, the well-known longtime uh, you know, true sharp of all sharps in terms of legendary sports gamblers. Uh, he was involved in that insider trading ca- a case, which in- uh, included Mickelson. Um, and Billy Walters is in jail. Billy Walters is promised when he gets released, he's writing a book. God knows what he's going to say about Mickelson. Um, but forty million in gambling gambling losses, even for a guy like uh, Phil Mickelson is a shitload of money. Don't don't try to say well he's worth, you know, he's worth 400 million dollars. So it's 10% of his overall net worth. I don't know I don't know exactly what his net worth is. When you lose when you lose 40,000. When you by the way, it's not the amount that you lose that that indicates whether or not you have a problem. For some people, losing $40 or $400 means you've got a gambling problem. Um for him this is a clear indication of a problem. It, it was done in every which way. I mean, we've all heard stories about Mickelson's legendary gambling, um, you know, uh, prowess and how you know it was in casinos, it was sports betting, it was you know betting on the golf course uh, as well. You know, there's the story about the golf club deal that he had to do to essentially pay off some of these uh, debts. But man, forty million dollars, Tommy. Th- this is somebody that that has a mate has a, a problem. Um, maybe he doesn't anymore. Maybe he's you know he's had that problem addressed. Uh, but you know that was that must have been unbelievable. You know he's contending at the highest levels of that sport. All the while, you know having to meet his guy behind Seven Eleven with a brown bag f- filled with like three million in cash. You know at a time, it wasn't handled that way. I'm sure, but God, that is unbelievable. I don't, I don't know that I've ever heard a story of somebody losing forty million dollars, ever. So that's that's beyond Sheehan territory, huh? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. the Arch Schleister stuff, you know, which you're, you're going to probably hit me with a well-known athlete well before Arch Schleister, whether it's the Paul Horning or the Alex Karras's of, of the world that got suspended, you know, but Arch Schleister, who played at Ohio State, you know, I, I think I read um, at one point that maybe over the course of his gambling problem life, he may have lost like a million bucks in total, you know, and, and that that's a lot for back in the eighties for sure. He's I think he's still in jail right now for I don't know what he uh, what he ended up being in jail for. Is was it bad check writing? He was in jail a couple of times. Yeah. He was in jail a couple of times. I interviewed his wife a long time ago. Oh really? Who was running a he was running a gambling uh a gambling, uh, like, rehab center uh, out in Vegas. Uh, but that was a long time ago. 
The Mickelson thing, though, like I, I think anybody that's ever had bad gambling, um, you know, stories of of being, you know, in the hole with money that you really can't afford. He could afford it, but I guarantee you, it wasn't very pleasant to be, you know, to be cutting those um, uh, cashiers' checks uh, to 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 the guy or real checks or real, you know, transfers to casinos. Uh, I um. Every, I mean, it's certainly what we've told stories on here about b- bad gambling situations before. I'm not going to get into those, but you know, it's somebody who you know continues to believe that he's going to be the one that's smart enough to get it all back and to win and end up looking much smarter. Like he's super competitive. You know, those with gambling problems typically super bright, super competitive. And Mickelson fits that description to a T. And I guarantee you those books, those casinos, they were just drooling every single time he walked in, uh, you know, uh, to the casino to, 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 to sit down and play cards, if that's what he was doing, or, um, you know, a, a big-time sports bet. I, I would bet that they were falling over themselves to get his action in these places. And I think a, a lot of it was probably lost on the golf course too, all the while him thinking he was the smartest guy in the room and that he would eventually get it all back. It's, it's a, it's a, it's insidious. It's a, it's a bad disease. It's a, it's a problem. Um, but 40 million bucks, man. Arch, uh, Arch Schleister, uh, after, I mean, just multiple arrests, he had been released from prison, uh, in June of 2021 and he's got Parkinson's disease and dementia. Oh my God! Uh, How old is he now? From uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, he had between fifteen and seventeen concussions from when he played. He's sixty-two. Sixty-two. Yeah. Mm. And uh, he's not in good shape. All right. Tell me. Uh, tell everybody about your column about Larry okay. Larry, Larry Lucchino. Uh, well, you know. Now that the Nationals are up for bid, uh, you know, the learners have, have hired a company to explore the sale of the franchise. Uh, people are looking for possible uh, bidders, and we've talked about Ted Leonsis and David Rubenstein and others. Uh, but, uh, I mean, Larry Lachino would be a natural for this. Larry Lachino is the guy who had the vision for Camden Yards in Baltimore. He was the guy who was determined that they were going to build a retro baseball-only ballpark uh, that changed, you know, the entire game after it was built. Uh, when he was president of the Orioles, he went and did the same thing in San Diego with Petco Park, and then he went to Boston, where he was one of the owners in Boston, won three World Series titles after an 86-year drought. You know, the, the curse of the Bambino, so to speak and reversed everything. Instead of building a new stadium uh, because people wanted to tear down Fenway Park, he came up with a way to preserve Fenway Park and to still make it, you know, a functioning stadium in, in the 21st century. Uh, so he, he's, he's going to be a Hall of Fame executive uh, at some point in Cooperstown. He stepped down from the day-to-day's operation in 2015, he's still on the board and uh, runs, you know, as the chairman of the Fenway Sports Group, their overall umbrella. 
But basically right now, he's, he owns a AAA minor league team in Worcester, uh, Massachusetts, that just moved from Pawtucket. And uh, I called him up, and I said, you know, are, are you inter- would you be interested in Washington? And he didn't say he wouldn't be, but he said, I've got my hands full, hands full now with a, a new stadium we just opened here in, in Worcester. Uh, but I know, under the right circumstances, he, he would love to come back to Washington. This is where he got his start, working for Edward Bennett Williams. And he was actually a vice president of, of the Redskins in the mid-'70s. And he's, he's a guy who's got a Super Bowl ring, World Series ring, and an NCAA championship basketball ring, because he played with Bill Bradley on Princeton's NCAA uh, championship team. I did not know that. So, wow. Yes. So uh, this guy is a remarkable sports background. I mean, a brilliant, visionary guy. He's 76, but Ted, let's face it, Ted Leonsis, Ted Lerner was older, older than that when he wound up uh, buying the Nationals. And it would be great news for Nationals fans if Larry Latino was somehow involved with the team. I don't think he's got the wherewithal to be the sole buyer, but if you're looking to bid on this team and you're an outsider not involved in the game, you want to bring Larry Lacchino into your group because he's the ultimate insider. What was his... So that's what the column is. Do you know what his ownership interest when Edward Bennett Williams and then, uh, you know, they obviously Jack Kent Cook what his interest was in the Redskins during that period of time? I mean, he was, wasn't he, uh, he was a Williams and Connolly lawyer, right? Which is how he got involved yes. with the Orioles and the Redskins yes. through Ed- Edward Bennett Williams. Yes. Well, what was his, do you have exactly. any idea what his actual ownership interest in the Redskins was? Obviously, it was a minority well, stake. I don't think Larry had, Larry did not have any ownership. I think in he the did. I'm not sure he did. Okay. I, he was just a, a vice president. In the Orioles, he would he would develop a piece of the ownership of the Orioles. Uh, and then when they got sold uh, in a bankruptcy auction uh, to Peter Angelos, Larry actually uh, was partners with Bill DeWitt, who wound up buying the Cardinals. And they lost out to Angelos in the, uh, in, in the bidding for that. But... Uh, Larry is, is uh, here's the story I always tell about Larry. When uh, he became president and owner of the Red Sox, uh, the Red Sox were a legendary franchise in New England, but they had an arrogant uh, attitude about themselves where they said, we're the Red Sox, you're lucky to do business with us. Well, that sounds and, familiar. You know, right. You know, and, we're, they, and so when Larry came in, he gave a speech to all their employees. He said, for years, you've been in the no business in this place. Starting today, we're going to be in the yes business. Oh. Meaning, we're going to say yes to everybody who wants us to come out to talk to us, to, to do business with them. We're, we're, go- we're going to start saying yes. And basically, he took the Red Sox, which was already a, a valued brand, and expanded it to the giant it is in New England now. Uh, would... he, said, he just has, when it comes to marketing and promotion, Yeah, I mean, you know, compared to the learners who have, who have a lack of either, 
they don't know how to do either, he would be a, a breath of fresh air for this. He'd be a really interesting owner prospect for the football team. Uh, but he doesn't have that kind of money himself, does he? No. He just would be part of a no, group. Which, right, which was my point, that if you're, if you're a group interested in the Nationals, right. the learners, what put the learners over when they when when the bit when they were everyone was bidding Bowden? for the the team went when made no no that was Stan Caston. Well, was Stan Caston, yeah, well, of course, right. loved him. Caston had been a had been a separate bidder for the team, but he knew. I mean, everyone knew the idea was that somebody was going to bring Stan in, and the one that brought Stan in would be the winner, and the learners were the ones that did that. I mean, no Stan Caston, the learners do not wind up owning this this baseball team. I'll tell you what, Stan Caston was a say yes we, person. Yes. He said and yes Lachino to everything. Is, <laughs> I loved him. I mean, and Lachino is the same way in, in terms of being the insider that if you're a baseball outsider trying to buy into the club, this is the guy who will get you in. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I think I think the Lucchino story is really an interesting one. I I do have one question to ask you to end uh, the podcast with you today, and then we'll get to Eddie C's uh, Kentucky Derby uh, picks. Is it Wooster or is it Worcester? I don't know. Okay. The, I don't know. Secondly, you worked up there. I know you? I did. I thought it was Worcester, um, but but that's okay. But Maybe I it is. but I was taken to task by. Um, not taken to task, but uh, Faust on Twitter said, you keep mispronouncing Lancaster PA. And I said, well, spell it phonetically for me. And he, spell it, he spelled it L-A-N-C-C-U-S-T-E-R, Lank Custer. You know Pennsylvania. You know, he, said the sa- he said the same thing to me, like, I, and I need to correct you. I've never heard that. I'm with you. I called it Lancaster. That's what I always I've thought never it heard, was. But it's Pennsylvania Dutch country. Right, it is. You know, I lived in the Poconos. There might have been another world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you weren't, you weren't going horse and buggy to work every day. Um, no. Are, are we done, or did you have anything else? Oh, what's your derby pick? Okay. My derby picks, I've got a trifecta okay. of uh, epicenter, High buy to buy and simplification. Simplification being the long shot at twenty to one. Now that leaves the favorite Zandon out of the trifecta. So I may do something different this time. I may do a super. It, so I, you've I got kind of you've got the three Zandon you get, out of it. You've got the three horse epicenter who right now is I think the favorite or close to the favorite. Actually, Zandon's the favorite, but epicenter's close. Yeah. You've got. Um, did you say Taiba? The twelve horse, yeah. Okay, yeah. you know that's a former Baffert horse. You know that, right? Right. And He's then written by Mike Smith. I'm a jockey guy. Okay? And then, and then, who's your twenty to one simplification? Simplification. That's the thirteen horse. Okay, so you've got written by Jose Ortiz. Okay. All right. Uh, you gonna box that right, up? Boss. You gonna box that up? That yes, that, I am. That that three twelve thirteen. All right, have yes, a good. I remember I cashed a six dollar ticket a couple years ago. I remember seventeen hundred bucks. I know you did. So. All right, uh, have a good weekend, uh, Eddie C, who really is into this stuff for you, Derby people, is up next.
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. First Saturday in May means the Kentucky Derby. And last year we put Eddie C on the podcast uh, predicting the Derby. Eddie C is a friend of many in town. Uh, he is South Florida based now, but hangs out a lot at Saratoga. He's a former golf professional. You can follow him on Twitter. It's me, Eddie C, on Twitter. Uh, the Derby, I think, is sneaking up on a lot of us. Um, you know, Tommy certainly is aware that it's going on tomorrow. Uh, this used to be, by the way, Eddie, a weekend for Vegas. Like, it was a fight weekend. It was sometimes a Cinco de Mayo weekend. Uh, it was, you know, Derby weekend. It was NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs. It was always a great weekend to be out in Vegas for it. I'm curious as to where you will spend your Kentucky Derby Saturday. Well, hey, Kevin, first off, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. It's always good to be uh, heard in the DMV, uh, old stomping grounds. But, um, you know, this year, I'm either going to go to Hialeah, i got some friends there, uh, to watch it at the racetrack there because uh, that's the old grand dam of tracks. But uh, I'll probably end up going up to Gulfstream and watching it there Uh did have an opportunity, to, uh, was offered tickets to go this year, but uh, too much going on. Uh, daughter graduated last weekend from the University of Florida, so congratulations lots going on there. Congratulations. I, Thanks, sir. I have one graduating from Penn State this weekend. Uh, that's where I'm headed. Um, and uh, it's supposed to be 48 degrees and raining sideways um, for his graduation, which should be lovely. <laughs> um, how many times have you been to the Derby? Just once. Just once. And worth yes. it for a guy like you, of course, right? Um, you know, like I'll put it this way. If I were 25 years old with a bunch of buddies, yeah, it's totally worth <laughs> it. Just get general admission t- tickets and, you know, and have your fun like we used to have in the infield at Pimlico. Oh, yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, if whenever I go back, uh, it was very worth it just because I, I, I had – we had uh, – box seats and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm not a foo-foo snob guy, but uh, it's definitely the way to go. Uh, The infield at the Preakness back in the day, um, that was quite the scene. There were were truly no laws, and if there were, most of them were broken. Uh, I went for like four straight years with a bunch of buddies, infield, mud pit, 
you know, just some of the most most debaucherous scenes you can can imagine. And really, the goal after like the first two years was to make sure that you didn't get or you steered clear of any of the big time brawls. Really, that was like the goal. Let's yeah. not let's not get hit unexpectedly uh, in the middle of some melee that has nothing to do with us. You were uh, you were hoping to be able to walk out of there unscathed, <laughs> or at the worst, uh, maybe a black eye. Uh, you uh, know? Yeah, and, and you didn't. Covered in mud and hammered is one thing. Uh, a black, uh, you know, g- blood gushing from the top of your eye is quite another. Um, but anyway, yes. all right. So, what are the stories this year with the Derby? Obviously, there's the big story regarding Bob Baffert. Explain to everybody what what the status of Bob Baffert is right now in horse racing. Well, you know, obviously, Baffert um, historically uh, can be considered the Bill Belichick of horse racing. He is, you know. Technically, he's won seven Kentucky Derbies, uh, but they disqualified his horse last year for uh, an overage of a legal medication. And it's important to say legal medication because a lot of people report it incorrectly and say that, you know, that he's cheating and with illegal drugs. And that's not the case. So, but anyhow, he's won six Derbies officially. He's won two Triple Crowns, both of them in the last five years. So it's pretty impressive, his resume. But what's happened because of the last year with Medina Spear being disqualified because of a drug uh, overage, he has been suspended for two years of running in the Kentucky Derby. So he will not be a listed trainer um, on any horse. And that said, he actually has two of his horses running in the race under – he has – uh, the owners transferred him to a different owner, and they're both big chances to win. So, uh, but he's been suspended by Kentucky, can't race there for two years, so he won't be in the Derby this year or next year. He won't be uh, Pimlico, and it's called the First Group, which is run by the Stronic family that owns Pimlico. They have suspended him. He will not be race, cannot race a horse there. And also Belmont for the Belmont Stakes, which is run by the New York Racing Association, known as Naira. They have banned him from running this year as well. So pretty big ramifications when you take the best trainer in the game out of it, and he had to transfer his horses to other trainers. So, so the, the Derby's not allowing, won't permit him to, won't per- permit any Baffert-trained horses to run in the next two derbies. But what does that mean with respect to horses he's trained? They can't run or he, they get transferred to somebody else. Explain that. They have to be transferred to another trainer that's not affiliated with him. So his assistant trainer, which a lot of times when a trainer gets suspended for a week or two or what have you, they transfer the horses into the name of their assistant trainer. He can't even do that. It has to be transferred to a independent trainer that runs his own barn and is not affiliated with Baffert. Now, that said, it's interesting that the two that are running on Saturday, he transferred to an old assistant trainer that worked with him, you know, like five, ten years ago. I want to say closer to ten years ago. So he transferred him to somebody that he knows and respects. Um but uh you know it's so who are who are the horses that are 
for all intents and purposes, Baffert horses, but are being trained by another barn, even though this person that was is training these two horses used to work for Baffert. Right? Did I get that right? Yes. So, so who are the horses? One of them is the sixth horse called Messier, named after Messier, the hockey player. Okay. And, uh, and uh, he is currently 8-1. to one. He's one of the probably, I say he's one of the top five, six horses in the field. And the other one is called Taba, which is, Taba is currently, I believe, 12-1. to one. And that's an interesting horse because it's only run two races in its life in the past couple of months. It's won both of them incredibly impressively. They paid $1.7 million for this horse. And he's 12 to 1, but I, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, he's going to go off at 5 to 1, maybe 4 to 1. That's how impressive he's been. So two of so so before we I, I know you wanted to mention a little bit about the Kentucky Oaks, um, which is run uh, later on uh, this evening, late afternoon this evening. No, Friday. Yes. Yeah. Correct. So I I but I just want to make sure I'm clear before we come back to the Derby. Baffert's got two horses in this race that have a chance. Uh. Yes, and there's a lot of people that I know of that are betting those two horses and only those two horses because they're Baffert horses, and he's won it seven times slash six officially. Okay. Um, all right, we'll come back to the Derby. But uh, later on today uh, is the running of the Kentucky Oaks, and I know that you have um, – you know, you have some strong thoughts on this race for anybody that's going to be wagering on on this stuff later today. And certainly almost everybody ends up uh, putting some sort of wager, even if it's at a party on the Derby. But tell me about the Kentucky Oaks. Well, you know, the Kentucky Oaks actually has an incredibly strong field. Uh, I want to say that there is uh, 14 horses that are listed to run. Um the curveball that's going to probably happen is it's going to be raining all day, so we're going to get a muddy track. But there's there's two horses in the there's four horses that really stand out from their performances prior to this. You've got a horse called Kathleeno that is four for four, has not lost, and has dominated pretty much in every race. You've got another horse, Echo Zulu, who's five for five. And uh, many say is a superstar, and many say that it sh- it, that it would have been their pick in the Kentucky Derby had she have qualified for it. But uh, she had a few problems and has only raced once this year. So, and then you have another horse called Nest that's four for five lifetime and is the morning line favorite. And then the last horse is Secret Oath that has four wins and finished third running against the boys in the Arkansas Derby, and she got a brutal trip. Otherwise, she may have had a chance to win. So you've got four really special horses in there. But real quick, just to go through it, the way the race shape is, Echo Zulu is a front runner, and um, there's another horse in the race that's definitely going to go to the front. Uh, I've spoken to the connections, and that's what they're doing. And the horse is the sixth horse called Yugiri, I believe it's pronounced. So they may get caught up in the speed uh, battle. And if they do, I really love the one horse, Secret Oath. 
Um, again, she proved grand third in the competitive race against the boys. She's won some big races. She has the look of, of being a superstar. So I'm betting the one-horse secret oath, and I'm going to key it in a trifecta over the three-hidden connection, the four-horse, which is Nest, the five-goddess of fire, the eight-venti valentine, and then I'm going to use Kathleen O, who is pretty special in her own right. But I'm trying to do like a little value bet to where people can get some, you're going to get 20 to 30 uh, uh, to one odds on a couple of those horses. All right, let's get to the Derby uh, on Saturday. How many horses are running? 20. Oh, my God. Um, what's the record number of horses that have run in the Derby? Do you know? Well, they limited it to 20, I forget how many years ago. I think the most they've ever had is, I want to say, 24. Okay. But what they did, what they did last year, which makes it a bit more fair for all the 20 that run, is they used to have two gates, and then if you were in the in the in in the one hole or the two hole, you know, or the one post or the two post, it was a huge disadvantage because you literally had to break out to the right not to hit the rail. Now they have one twenty position gate oh, which do. gets moved off the rails so it's a lot fairer okay but they're still they're bunched up though aren't they oh it, it's it, it's bumper cars when they when they first break out of the gate all yes. right tell me tell me about this race uh you've already told me about the two former baffert horses uh messier uh named after mark messier and Taiba or Taiba or however it's pronounced. So, who is everybody pointing to as the favorite? Is there is there an obvious favorite? Is there a triple crown horse that we're going to see the first leg of uh, tomorrow? Well, I'll say this: if Taiba can win, yeah, that's your superstar. That's your triple crown candidate. Um, but again, it's it's only run two races. And, and out in California, in small fields, she 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 raced against a six horse field and a seven horse field. Now now he's coming into a twenty horse field. It's totally different. It's and and only having two races of experience, you know that's like that's like taking a quarterback, starting two races and throwing them in the. I mean, uh, playing two games and throwing in the Super Bowl. You know, I mean, it, stuff happens. So. From the top contenders, the way the race shape is going to probably go is you're going to have three or four horses battling for the lead, uh, which I don't think any of them are going to have a chance to win. There's this horse called Summers Tomorrow is definitely going to the front, and then you might have Pioneer of Medina, Zozos, and Classic Causeway going to the front and setting a pretty quick pace. The winners, I think, the, the, the horses who I think can win are going to be right, you know, in, in the group behind them, rating behind the speed. And without getting too deep into it, because I don't want to lose uh, the listeners here, I am, uh, man, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take three horses and box them in an exacta. And I'm going to take the three-horse epicenter, the eight-horse charge it, and then I'm going to take the uh, oh, the ten horse called Zandon. The only thing I don't like about Zandon, 
And Zandon's the morning line favorite, yeah, I believe, at 3-1. to one. Yeah, right now, 3-1. to one. Yep. Right. But the thing about Zandon is he's a, he's a closer, which means he's going to have to weave in and out of traffic, avoid bumping horses or getting shut off. But I think that horse is so special. I really do. I think that's one of the two or three special horses in this group. And that's who I'm picking as my winner. I'm picking Zandon the 10 horse and uh you know i'm using epicenter i'm using the six messier and i'm using charge it i'm keying off of those four horses but i'm keying zandon on top of them too i just think he's going to come flying late and is going to catch them all because i think out of the 20 horses there's like i mean there literally is like eight to ten that could win this but i think there's also you know five to eight that have no chance and they're going to be floundering late and it's just going to open up some lanes for Zandon to come flying home late and win. All right, let me just uh, interject real quickly before I summarize Eddie's derby picks in the exact box that he just uh, described. Let me remind everybody that if you don't have a place to bet the derby tomorrow, go to my bookie. Go to mybookie.ag or mybookie.com. Uh, use my promo code Kevin DC, and they'll match your first deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to a thousand bucks. They've got, in addition to a sports book and an online casino, they've got an online race book uh, as well, and they'll have. All of the action, not only for the Kentucky Oaks later on today, but the Kentucky Derby tomorrow. So go to mybookie.ag or mybookie.com, use my promo code KevinDC, and they'll take good care of you. But just to recap, Eddie, you've got the three-horse Epicenter, you've got the eight-horse Charge It, and you've got the ten-horse Zandon in an exacta box. But you like Zandon to actually win the race, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Now I'm using Charge It, and Charge It's a really interesting horse for people that are looking for a price. He's twenty to one morning line right now. He's a very young horse. He's raced three times, and his last race he came second in the Florida Derby, and only because. And make sure I explain it. He ran green, coming down the lane towards the finish line, which means he kept on weaving in and out because he's a young horse. You know, he he's still not sure how to run. But he came second, and if he had stayed in a straight line, I think he probably wins the race. So for a price horse, that's who you're looking for. There you go. Charge it right around 20 to 1. Um, and then your other two horses are 3 to 1 and roughly 3.5 to 4 to 1, somewhere there, 7 to 2 to 4 to 1, somewhere in that range. Um, Eddie, great job. Really appreciate it. It's me, Eddie C., on Twitter. Uh, enjoy the Derby. We'll talk soon. Kevin, appreciate it. Congratulations to your son. Enjoy Happy Valley. And to your daughter as well. All right. Take care. All right. That's it for the day. Uh, a reminder, if you missed Cooley breaking down Sam Howell and Jahan Dotson on yesterday's podcast, go listen to that over the weekend. Have a great weekend. I'll be back on Monday.